Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, uh, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the Bible. That again and again as we come uh, to the words of scripture, we find that these are not the words of men, but the very words of God. They speak to us like no other book, no other text does, no other voice does. And we pray that you uh, would make our church uh, a church that loves the truth, loves the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error. And we pray that you would teach us uh, how um, to, to read your word, to understand your word, to think well, that we may honor you and that we may love people well. So we pray now as we open our hearts to your word that you would send your spirit uh, to be our teacher. Um, give us soft, teachable hearts that we might hear from you and that we might leave here transformed. And we ask this in the name of Savior, our, our, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Um, so uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the importance of believing in good doctrine. You know, having right beliefs, a dogma, which I think for many people, you know, and at least in my generation, I think in, mo- in all of our generation, especially in a culture like Bellingham, that's kind of an off-putting topic of uh, doctrine. And because, you know, and if you look at our culture ever since basically the 60s, probably even before that, uh, most people have said that, that um, when religious people care a lot about having right beliefs, about believing right doctrine, about believing certain dogma, um, this is the very thing where religions go wrong. When they're obsessed with you've got to believe all these right doctrines, you've got to have all these right beliefs, when you start beca- you know, making that too much of a priority, then uh, you, uh, you, you become um, uh, exclusive, you begin looking down on other people, you become divisive, um, you become rigid, and your spirituality becomes this kind of lifeless, loveless um, uh, thing that you, you just, makes you feel good about yourself. And so uh, the idea that we should uh, be intent on believing the right things is something that's kind of um, looked down upon. And, and in, as a result, most people would say, actually, the thing that's not so much the important is that you believe all the right things, but that you have um, a profound experience, a meaningful experience of spirituality. That's what really matters, is, is that you have a real experience of who God is and the spiritual nature of the universe. And, um, and so the natural, uh, that's what's more important, is meaningful experience than right beliefs. You know, maybe you've kind of experienced that or felt that. You know, maybe that's kind of what I think. And, um, and kind of the, res- the result of that, the natural result of that, is to say, listen, we got all these religions in the world that believe all these different things, and they're all saying the other one's wrong. Why don't we just say that they're all 
they're all equal, all religions are the same, whatever, whatever gives you a meaningful experience of the divine, great. Go for it, do it, right? And um, now, you know, there's something very kind of a uh, desire to be respectful in that, which I, I think is valid. All of us as Christians, we should respect all people. All people are made in the image of God. And even though sin has a kind of ruined, marred the image of God in us, there's something uh, about all people that they still reflect to us the glory of God. And so we should give dignity to all people from all religious backgrounds. Um, but there's a subtle problem with this idea of saying all religions are equally valid. Because on the, on, beside the fact that it's not true, right? I mean, you know, if you have a, a polygamous cult that is making little girls marry old men, I'm not, sorry, it's not, what we got going here is better than what they got going. <laughs> that's, that's not arrogant for me to say that, right? That's perfectly fair. We got something better going than they got going. So not all religions are the same. And, um, and uh, John uh, is uh, uh, dealing with false teachers in his church that are actually doing that. They're going off and they're starting cults. And he says, listen, um, don't follow them. Don't go be a part of their cult. Um, but the second thing is this, is that when we say um, all religions, are the, all, we should be tolerant of all, all religions. We should see them all the same. You should never judge any other religion. What are we doing? What is that statement? That's a dogma. That's a, that's a doctrine, right? Because what I'm saying is um, you sh- if you are an intolerant person, then you are totally lost. If you're someone who you know, believes the Bible and that everyone needs to believe in Jesus, you are totally lost. And what am I doing? I have a doctrine that I'm setting up, and if you don't agree with me, then I think you're lost. And the fact is that everyone, no matter who you are, even if you say, I, I believe all religions, I think everyone's the same, you have a dogma, you have a doctrine. And uh, G.K. Chesterton has a great quote where he says that there are two kinds of people in the world, the conscious dogmatist and the unconscious dogmatist. Everyone has a doctrine. Everyone has a dogma. But some people know they have one, and some people don't know they have it. They don't think that they're operating out of a doctrine. I have always found myself that the unconscious dogmatists were by far the most dogmatic. The people who are the the most aware, uh, the, the people who don't know that they have a doctrine are the ones that are most rigid, the most insistent on their dogma. Everyone has an ultimate belief about the world um, that they think that everyone needs to conform to. Everyone does. And it turns out that those beliefs, like what you believe about the world and believing right things, are actually important. You know, um, it it is important what you believe about the world. You know, C.S. Lewis has a great illustration that he says, you know, if you had... um, you know, you're on the, the edge of the Sahara Desert and, uh, you know, you got your tent and you're cooking up some food and you see some guy coming out of the desert and he's, um, you know, his ribs are, are, you know, all kind of, uh, he's all bony and he's skinny and he's about to starve to death and he stumbles up to your tent. The worst thing you could do is say, hey, I got a, I got a nice juicy uh, T-bone stick uh, over here on the grill. Why don't you eat this? You're starving. You know, you could be being the most generous person in the world and say, hey, you're starving? I'm going to give you a big, huge steak dinner. But what would you be doing? <laughs> You'd be killing them. You have to have some knowledge of how starvation works if you really want to help them. They need a little bit of food, a little bit of water. They need to grow into it. But if you give that person a big meal, you're going to kill them right on the spot. What you believe about the world and what you believe about people actually is important for loving them well and for caring for people well. And so, to be a Christian, the Bible insists that it's, just, it's not enough that you just love people or that, um, that you're a good person or even that you have a relationship with God in a vague sense 
but you need to believe certain things. God has, is explaining his world and ourselves to us. And we need him to teach us those things. And we need to understand those things right. So that on the one hand, we say, you know, God is, God's the infinite God that will never understand everything about God. He's fil- filled with mystery. But there are certain things that he's told us. And when he tells us certain things, this is how my world works, this is how a human works, this is how a family works, this is how relationships work, um, this is how I relate to you, we need to hear those things and believe those things if we're going to do it well. And so that's why in this passage, the Apostle, the Apostle John says to this as a group of churches in Ephesus, In verse 6, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He says we need to know what's truth and what's error. We need to be able to recognize those things and discern those things. And um, so as the Bible uh, guides us in that, um, it gives us some important principles about how to pursue doctrine. Um, and um, so this morning I, I want to just highlight three of those principles that, that the Bible gives us in this passage about doctrine. And this is, these are the three principles that I think are really important. And I think they're distinctive of the, of the Bible. And I hope these three, these three principles make you love doctrine. Okay? First thing is this, that good doctrine comes from good teachers. Good doctrine comes from good teachers. And um, this is, uh, you know, one of the big purposes, as I mentioned, of the book of John. You know, John, who wrote the letter to 1 John, uh, was one of Jesus' best friends. He, he had the closest access to Jesus. There were, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples, but there were three of them who were especially close to Jesus, and John was one of those. He, he got, you know, he slept with Jesus, he talked with Jesus, they, they, they lived together, they walked together, they did, they did all these things. And um, one of, uh, and John was a pastor in Ephesus, which was kind of the religious center of the ancient world. You know, the Temple of Artemis was there, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the religious center. And um, there were these group of, in these churches that he's pastoring, there's a group of false teachers who are going out and they're starting these cults and they're drawing people out of the church that are going after and joining these cults. And so that's, and you can, and they're leading people away from kind of the simplicity and the hope and the love of the gospel. You see here what it says in verse 1, for many false prophets have gone into the world. See what he's triggering. Um, Good doctrine comes from good teachers, and he's saying you need to watch out for false prophets, right? Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus uh, is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And uh, the Antichrist we know from chapter 2 that with the Antichrist, it was actually a number of false teachers uh, that John was writing to. The Antichrist were people who basically rejected Jesus, Antichrist. We don't think Jesus is Christ come from God. And uh, in, ver- in chapter 2 it says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So they were in this church and they had these false teachers who were denying Jesus the, the essence of, of, of uh, what Christianity is all about. And, and John is saying um, that you need to follow the good teachers. You need to think about who your teachers are and what they're teaching if you're going to have good doctrine, if you're going to believe the right things. And so what that means is a couple of things. First of all, that means for us as a church, you need to test your teachers. You need to test your teachers. Now this is a, I want you to see this amazing statement. Verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, what does that mean? Do not believe the spirits. Well, what he's talking about is you have these teachers who are coming who are, who are saying, 
uh, you know, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm full of the Spirit, and I'm bringing God's truth to you. You know, they, they didn't have a New Testament, they didn't have a Bible uh, yet at that time, so they had these prophets who had to bring the Word of God, and some of them had the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, some of them don't have the Holy Spirit, they have an evil spirit, a lying spirit inside of them, and you need to decide, is this teacher teaching the God's truth, or is this teacher not teaching God's truth? And he, what he says um, is uh, that you have a responsibility to evaluate what you are hearing to see whether it is from the Holy Spirit or a lying and evil spirit. That's your responsibility. Is what I'm hearing the truth of God? Is this from God? And uh, he assumes that there are going to be teachers in the church who are lying to people, not telling them the truth. And that means, uh, and, and you know, I'll tell you what's interesting about this. Many people think of religion as um, base, any kind of organized religion that says, okay, you have these religious leaders who are gathering people together, and basically these people are turning their brains off, and now they're just downloading information from the religious leader, and the religious leader is kind of getting control of them and telling them everything that they're supposed to do. And look at what John's saying here. He's saying just the opposite. He's actually giving power to the congregation and to individual Christians to say, you need to understand uh, what you believe, what the Bible teaches. You need to think through these things. You need to evaluate your teachers and say, um, what are they teaching? And, um, and one of the things um, that the church, you know, at times the church has kind of had an attitude where it just says, all right, we're the church, we're the religious authority, it doesn't matter what you, if you understand what we're teaching, uh, you just need to believe it. And the Catholic Church kind of, you know, in, uh, 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 before the Reformation had uh, this, this kind of implied faith. You know, they'd have worship services in Latin, no one understood what they were doing, and they said, listen, just trust us, believe what we say you should believe. And so none of the kind of common people had any understanding of, of uh, what the Bible was about, what their teachers were teaching. And, and in the Reformation, there was this radical transformation. That's where a public education really came from, is that Christians said, common people need to be able to read the Bible for themselves. They need to be able to make decisions. Is what I'm hearing from God, is it consistent with what the scriptures say? And that we all have a responsibility to evaluate our teachers, um, uh, to test our teachers, to make sure that we have good teachers. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our church is a, is a Presbyterian church, and um, Presbyterian, the Presbyterian church in America over the last uh, 100 years or so went into a very steep decline. And uh, part of the reason for that was because um, the, m many of the pastors were abandoning teaching the teachings of the Bible. And actually, not just the pastors, but the seminary professors were abandoning teaching the Bible and, and had all kinds of their own ideas. They did not live under the authority of the scriptures. And, um, and what happened was, uh, you know, people leave. You know, it, it, why come here on Sunday morning? If I'm just going to get up and give you my ideas, why are you going to waste your beautiful Sunday morning in Bellingham to come <laughs> and listen to what Nate Walker has to say about your life and about God? Who cares? It, what you care about is the words of God from the scriptures. And what happened was that they were uh, leaving uh, the words of God, but the common people, had, the, 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 the lay people in the, in the uh, uh, denomination had no idea that this was happening. And, and uh, th this was affecting millions of people, and the, the church went into steep decline. They're losing uh, tens of thousands of people. And so that's, that's our, our church kind of came out of that Presbyterian tradition. And, what, and one of the, the ways to guard that was to say that the power in a church is not just in pastors, it's not just in seminary professors, but actually in lay people, uh, lay elders. You know, we have Chris who comes up here and uh, helps lead our congregation. He's not, he's not, he didn't go to seminary. He's, he's a lay person who studied the scriptures 
and says, I know what this believes, I know what the Bible says, and I'm going to hold my teachers accountable to that. And so um, that's important for us, is that we know what we believe and that we can test our teachers, okay? But the other side, um, and let me, just, let me just ask you that. Is that a conviction for you? Is that a conviction that my, I want teachers who teach me the word of God, who don't make up their own ideas, but show me in the scriptures where they, where they get their ideas? Is that a priority? But the other thing is not just that you need to teach your, uh, test your teachers, but also others need to test your teachers. Your teachers need to be accountable to someone. And you see this in verse 6. Uh, John says, uh, we are from God. So John is an apostle. He was trained by Jesus. You know, he was Jesus' best friend, uh, walked around with him for three years. He says, we are from God. Whoever listens to us, so he has the authority of Jesus. He says, whoever, listens, uh, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And what he's saying is your teachers, the people you're listening to, they need to be accountable to someone else. They need to be accountable to a, a broader community so that the Bible, you know, the Bible is not something that Nate, gets to just uh, read and interpret and decide, well, I think it means this. I'm actually accountable to a broader... The, the, the Bible is a community document that the church as a whole... So one of the reasons why I, I quote theologians and I uh, quote people uh, from the past, um, part of the reason I'm a, of a denomination is I don't want to give you just Nate's interpretation. I want to give you the interpretation of Christians throughout the centuries making reflections on the scriptures. And so that when someone says, um, yeah, well... You read the Bible? That's just your interpretation. Actually, it's not just my interpretation. I'm, I'm a part of a family that has been interpreting this Bible for years and for centuries. And together we've come to see this is what God's Word says. And, um, and so, you know, there's an element in which, you know, it's tragic that the Christian church has all kinds of denominations in it, you know, and some of you feel that. You're like, gosh, what, why are there Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists? And that is tragic. Um, but the other side, in our situation right now, what's the other option? I can either be in a denomination or I cannot be in a denomination. And our church is in a denomination partly because I'm a young guy who needs older pastors, other pastors to he- hold me accountable. And actually, Daniel, who's coming out, he's going to be here next week. He's going to be examined by pastors who are going to, he's going to take tests on, uh, on uh, the, how much he knows the Bible, how much he knows theology, how much he knows church history, how, much, how well he understands the sacraments, uh, the, the Lord's Supper and baptism, uh, how he understands church polity. He's going to be examined by other pastors to say, should this guy uh, be entrusted to care for a congregation? And uh, that's what we need, is we need our teachers uh, to be accountable and tested by others as well. Now, part of the question of that um, is something that we have to be careful with, because on the one hand, you know, as you come to church, you, you come to the church this morning, your hope is to hear from God. Your hope is to hear the scriptures and God speak to your heart. Now, if I'm... Uh, you know, if you come here and you say, well, gosh, i got to test my teacher. i got to think about everything Nate's saying and kind of question, is he really telling the truth all the time? And if you're kind of guarded, how's my heart really going to be open to hear what God has to say to me? How am I going to have the humility to just receive and to be teachable? And, um, and uh, you know, um, John Calvin uh, says, says this in his commentary on this passage, for, uh, for God would have his word to be always received from the mouth of man, no otherwise than if he himself had appeared from heaven. So there's a truth. You, there, there is a sense where you should be able to come to church and be able to feel like when I hear my pastor speak, it's like I'm hearing from heaven. I need to be able to have an open heart like that. How do I test my pastor and be guarded and have an open, teachable heart about it? 
Well, I think uh, this, this passage gives us an answer to us, and this is the second thing that we see in this passage, is that good doctrine, uh, not only that good doctrine comes from good teachers, but also good doctrine focuses on the person of Jesus. Good doctrine focuses on the person of Jesus. The main thing that you're looking for as you test teachers is, am I hearing about Christ? Is, am I hearing about the person of Jesus? And you see this, verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. By the way, this is another Trinitarian little verse, right? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ uh, has come in the flesh is from God, who is the Father. So we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three parts of the Trinity there together. And um, what he says is the good doctrine focuses on the person of Jesus, that the truth that, you know, of what good doctrine is, it's not a philosophy, it's not a list of ideas that if you happen to believe these things, this is what good doctrine is. The center, the heart of good doctrine is a person, is a person. The center of what we've given, the truth that we've given our heart to is not, is not a philosophy. Um, it's not ideas, it's a person who loves, who's acted, who's done, who's pursued us, who cares about us. And that's what we've devoted ourselves to. Um, the truth of the universe is a person. And um, so, how do you recognize good doctrine? Jesus is at the heart of it. Jesus is at the heart of it, and in a couple ways. First of all, Jesus is at the heart of it in the content of the message. So you've got to listen to what the message is saying. Is the message about Jesus. And you see this, uh, look at verse 2 again. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he tells us, it's very simple. It's not like you have to analyze every, every word that a pastor is speaking, that your teacher is speaking, but this is this short little message, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's the main thing we're looking for. And what that means, what do, what do each of those words mean? First of all, Jesus Christ. You know, some of you may not know this, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title, Jesus the Christ. And the Christ was that uh, in the Old Testament, God had promised that he was going to send the true king of the world, was going to come and bring peace to all nations and draw people from every, nations to come and wor every nation to worship God, and he was going to bring the forgiveness of sins to the world. And what, uh, what the essence of the biblical message, the main thing we need to hear is that Jesus, the man who uh, you know, lived in Palestine uh, 2,000 years ago, is the true king of the world. He has come. He is the Christ. So that's the first part of it. But also it says that Jesus Christ has come. What does that mean, he's come? Well, where did he come from? He came from God. Which is also that Jesus was not just a man who happened to be born uh, uh, 2,000 years ago, but Jesus was God who became a man. You see what that says? That Jesus Christ uh, uh, has come in the flesh. He is God become a man. He is the mediator between God and man. And it's this simple belief, this uncharged uh, truth that Jesus has come on a rescue mission to rescue lost people and draw people back to God is the essence of the message. That's the main thing that we're listening for. And th th so the, the, testing your teacher is actually fairly simple. Is that what I'm hearing? Am I hearing about the grace of God that's in Christ? Am I hearing about Jesus? That's the main thing I should be testing and looking for. And... Um, 
And uh, the, the central doctrine is not a proposition about God. It is the true story. It's the story of the world. And um, actually, I've been, uh, I just finished reading recently a, a biography about C.S. Lewis. And um, C.S. Lewis, uh, for much of his life, uh, he, you know, he was a, a scholar of Renaissance and medieval literature. And um, one of the, the uh, driving ambitions of, Jesus, or of, of C.S. Lewis' life was um, that his pursuit of joy and he, there were certain uh, myths and old stories that he would read, and when he read them, it gave him this experience of wonder. And he said, I tasted something like joy, something that transcended this world, and where does that come from? What is that joy? And actually, uh, even though for much of his life, uh, uh, his early life, he, uh, he was an atheist from about uh, the age 16 to um, uh, when he was 30, and, um, and Lewis be, uh, first believed in God when he was 30, and then, um, but he hadn't become a Christian yet. And uh, the, the, the key event that happened in him becoming a Christian was he went on a walk one night. He had a group of friends that he would meet, meet with in the evenings. He, he was a bachelor most of his life. And um, one of his closest friends was J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, another friend, Hugo Dyson. And uh, one night uh, at Oxford, they went on this walk. It's called Addison's Walk. It's about a mile-long walk through some woods, a very beautiful place. And they were up till 3 in the morning. They were talking about uh, Christianity, about who Jesus is. And what Tolkien told... Lewis, was he says, you know that experience of joy that you have, that experience of wonder when you read a myth and you say, wow, this is so profound. It leaves me I, I struck with beauty and it leads me into joy. And you say, well, you know, the problem is none of these myths are true. And yet when I look at all the things that are true as an atheist, the science and the rational thought, it feels dead. It has no life to me. And what, uh, what Tolkien said, this brilliant argument, he says, you should approach the gospel with that same wonder of the myths, except there's this, only, this one difference. The gospel is the true myth. God did become a man once, and it's true. And here, myth and fact have come together. And actually, uh, short, shortly after that, they were up until 3 in the morning talking about this, and actually there's this one moment, right when they hit the decisive moment in the conversation, there's this huge gust of wind blows through them, and there's leaves falling everywhere, and they both just are, are just stopped in their tracks, silent. And, they, and Lewis felt like this was the Spirit of God just um, blowing on them at that moment. It was a decisive moment in his life. And he wrote, actually wrote to his friend, Arthur Greaves, um, uh, saying, I've just passed on from believing in God God to definitely believing in Christ, in Christianity. I will try to explain this another time. My long night talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a good deal to do with it. And so um, what was the heart of the message? It was Christ, that Christ is God come to us. That was the decisive thing that changed his heart. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't just, uh, the doctrine wasn't uh, dry ideas or philosophy. It was this story that filled his heart with joy and with wonder that God is alive and that God's acted. So it, on the one hand, good doctrine comes in the, in the content of the message, which is always focused on Jesus, but also it comes in the character of the messenger. The character of the messenger. And the Bible always puts an emphasis that good teachers, the way that you, should I, is this someone I should trust, is you look at their character. That's what, you know, we were looking at this uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, this, this last winter and spring, and that's what Jesus says. Beware of, uh, of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's closings, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their life. And that's how you should determine whether I should trust them. And um, one of the reasons this is important is because one of the big concerns about doctrine when 
Christians talk about doctrine and believing the right things. You have to believe the right things if, if, uh, if you're going to uh, be a Christian, if you're going to follow Christ, is, um, is that doctrine is about power. And one of the big uh, think, critiques that people have about Christians is that Christians say, oh, we have the words of God right here. And we feel a sense of power that um, you have to believe everything that this book says that we have. And I'm up here talking to you all, and I have the words of God, so you need to listen to me. And people say, how manipulative is that? You're not freeing us to think for ourselves. Uh, you're forcing our hand. That if we don't believe what you're saying, um, then we're going to be lost, and God's going to, uh, you know, we're going to lose God forever, and, and, our, um, and our life is totally off track. How manipulative. And actually, uh, there's a... Uh, uh, David Bazan is a, he, uh, he used to be a Christian artist, kind of an independent uh, musician, who uh, recently uh, had left his Christian faith, and it was uh, kind of a, a big deal in, in kind of Christian music world, and he wrote an album that was actually kind of his, his statement of apostasy, I'm, I'm uh, abandoning God, I'm not going to believe in him anymore, and uh, it's, uh, it's, he's, He's very gifted with his words, and um, this is one of the things he, he says in one of his songs, When We Fell. He says, if my mother cries when I tell her what I've discovered, so what he's discovered, that God does not exist and that Christ is not the truth. If my mother cries when I tell her what I've discovered, then I hope she remembers she taught me to follow my heart. And if you bully her like you've done me with fear of damnation, then I hope she can see you for what you are. You hear what he's saying? Is that what Christians who believe the Bible, and they say people need to believe in, in right doctrine, they're bullying people. And, uh, and that's, that's the criticism, um, that, uh, that doctrine is about bullying people. It's, it's we have these right beliefs and we're forcing everyone to believe. Now, what do we say to that? Um, well, on the one hand, the first thing we say to that is anyone who cares about the world, cares about people, cares about life, cares about the truth of the world, is going to have convictions. They are going to have things that say, this is what the world needs to be about. This is how people need to treat one another. This is the truth of what the world is. And David Bazan, in, this, uh, in his album, you listen to his album, <laughs> he's got intense convictions. He has intense convictions in, this, in the passage I just read to you. And if you don't think he's bullying people, if you don't think he's bullying his mom by saying, don't you dare take your Bible and argue with me. You need to accept whatever I believe no matter what. He's bullying people just as much. Anyone who has convictions has the potential to bully people with their doctrines. Like I said at the beginning, because everyone has a doctrine. And so, uh, the question is, what doctrine, what fundamental belief do you believe in that actually makes you love people and treat people with dignity and not bully people? Is there a conviction? Is there a doctrine? If you hold on to it tightly, then you're act there's no way you could bully people. There's no way you could disrespect people. And what we have in the gospel, you know, John talks here about the spirit of the teachers. What spirit did they come to you in? What is their character? What are they like? What's the ethos of them? Because what the gospel says is that the true king of the world has come and he's demanding obedience from everyone. But how did he do it? The true king of the world, he let go of all his power. He became a little poor baby in a manger. He lived a life of poverty. He lived marginalized up in Galilee, and uh, uh, not near the centers of power. He didn't, he didn't uh, gather a whole army of people around him. He, uh, he didn't do any of that, and eventually he died on the cross for his enemies. 
Instead of forcing the hand and forcing his enemies what to do, he drew them with his love by dying for them. He humbled himself. And so, um, if my basic doctrine is that the king of the world gave up his power to give me salvation that I don't deserve, how could I um, use my truth to beat people up? How could I beat people up with the Bible? Jesus was beat up. He didn't beat people up with the truth. He was beat up for them. And how could I feel superior to people who believe differently than me? How could I look down on people? I mean, Jesus didn't die for me because I was a good person, because I was wise. It was, it was despite my sin. He took my sin upon himself. He, God has been infinitely patient with me. He's given me what I don't deserve. I, and, and, and treated me with a dignity that I, that I had no right to demand from him. How can I help but anyone else show them that, that same dignity? And so the central doctrine, the, the heart of good teaching is Jesus, which, which we insist on, but actually it causes us to be humble and to love other people and to be gentle with our doctrine, and to not be people up, and to not bully them. Good doctrine is always clothed with a loving character. That's one of the ways you can recognize good doctrine. If someone talks a lot about doctrine, but they, don't, they are not clothed with a loving character, they do not have good doctrine. And this is the third point we're going to get to. It's not just that good doctrine comes from good teacher, and that good doctrine focuses on the person of Jesus. But lastly, good doctrine comes from humility. It comes from humility. And um, uh, understanding God begins with deep humility, which is, uh, is difficult for our culture because what that means is embracing that I have weaknesses. My ideas about God might be wrong. I need to be corrected. I need to be changed. I need the Bible to challenge me. And, uh, and I, I should expect that the Bible's going to say things that shock me, that I, they're offensive to me, that I, I would not have thought of. And um, you see that for John, his confidence is not in his people's smarts or their knowledge or their wisdom, but he says this in verse 3, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The way to true doctrine is the presence of God, the leading of God, the power of God. And uh, this is what Proverbs uh, 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the essence of what Christians believe about true knowledge, is that the fear of the Lord, when my humility before God, that I, I can't know wisdom on my own. I need God to teach me. I need him to bring me along. I need him to give me a spirit. I need him to reveal himself to me. And, um, and so humility involves a couple of things. It involves being humble about ourselves. You know, most of us think that we're, I'm a very reasonable person. Um, whatever I believe is probably true. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'd be surprised that I believe in, in, in things that are wrong. Um, N.T. Wright is a, uh, one of the great uh, New Testament scholars of, of our generation. And he, um, I've heard him speak in a number of settings. And one of the things he always begins his talk with, or if he's going to have a debate with someone, he gets up and he says, now, I just want to make clear that... Um, I'm pretty sure that a quarter of what I'm about to tell you is probably wrong, and um, I'm just not sure which quarter it is. So I want to begin a, a conversation, uh, and you can kind of help me see which quarter, quarter is probably wrong. What, he, what is he saying? I've, I probably have read the Bible wrong somewhere. Now, I believe he has deep convictions, and you'd have a hard time showing him <laughs> that he's wrong. But um, that, that humility about ourselves that I probably, I probably need to be corrected. I need a, is, is a teachable spirit that leads us into good doctrine. Um, and um, it, it starts a conversation. 
but also, we don't just need to be humble about ourselves, but we need to be humble under the Bible. And this is what it says, verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Now, who's he talking about there? We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Who's the we? Who's the us? Well, it's the Apostle John, who wrote the scriptures. He wrote the Bible. <laughs> and so what he's saying is that we, um, we sit under the word of God and we believe it. And so we come to his letter even now and we say, listen, he has an authority that we, I don't have. He has the spirit of God. He had a commissioning from Jesus to, to reveal to us the truth. And so one of the marks of humility is that we listen to the word of God well. We don't, we don't sit over the word of God. We sit under it and we let it challenge us. And we know that it can challenge us, and it, it can say things that um, are, uh, are surprising and challenging to us. We expect it to do that. Um, and, uh, and that doesn't mean that we don't have questions about the Bible. That doesn't mean we don't ask questions, that we don't have things that we struggle with. But we bring those things in a, in, in a, a stance of humility. And there's this question, what do you do when you come to the Bible and it says things that I was just, how does the Bible say that? I mean, how can I believe in a book that says that? I never thought it would say that. It's so counterculture. It's, it's so different than everything I believe. How can, I, how can this sit well with me? And um, actually, I've, been, I've just started reading the Harry Potter series, which if I know a lot of Christians are uncomfortable with Harry Potter. I, I, I feel strongly that these are Christian books, actually, and you can come ask me about that after if you want. Um, but uh, in the first book, there's uh, when Harry Potter is, uh, first meets Hagrid, who's a giant, who's first telling him about uh, that he's a wizard and that there's this whole other world where there's wizards and magic and things like that. And, uh, and Harry, the, the night after uh, he has that, um, that conversation and he's going to sleep and he wakes up the next morning, he's like, maybe it was all a dream. And then he's starting to ask himself, how can I really believe all this stuff? I mean, it's so, I, I never, how can I believe that this is all true? And there's a great line in there. It says, even though everything Hagrid had told him so far was unbelievable, Harry couldn't help trusting him. It was the character of Hagrid. He said, I was compelled by Hagrid and his character. And even though what he said seemed so far-fetched, um, I trusted him. And what we do with the Bible is there's many things that it says that are strange to us, but we look at that central figure in the Bible, the Lord Jesus. We look at his wisdom. We look at his profound love, his sacrificial love. We look at his powering and his healing. And we say, so much seems unbelievable to, to me, but I trust him. He's the one I trust. And if he says to tr put my weight on this word, then I'm going to do it because he's called me to follow him and I've responded to the call. And so it's because of Jesus, Jesus is the center of good doctrine, and he calls us to believe uh, good things, to use our minds, bring our minds, and that's for all of us, uh, to test our teachers um, and to see, are they preaching Jesus, and are they coming with a spirit of humility? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we see you in the scriptures we see that you are a God that can be trusted, a God 